Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of The Medic Philosopher. This week we are going to talk about friendship and its different forms. I chose this episode because a couple of listeners reached out after last week's episode. They said they would trade some of the people in their close circles for money. Maybe not their best friends, but people they often go out with. Or at least that seemed to be a quite common opinion. This got me thinking, would I do the same? Well, I guess in the modern world, many of what we call friendships are transactional, in the grand scheme of things. And in light of COVID-19 and the increasing reliance on social media to maintain some sort of human connection and fulfill our social needs and desires, I decided to make an episode on friendship. As Stephen West says in his podcast Philosophize This, if Plutarch lived today, he would absolutely disprove of Facebook. More on Plutarch later on. Friendship, or philia in Greek, is a type of love. Nowadays, when we say we are in love with someone, this usually comes with more romantic connotations. Trying to define love is very difficult. Many thinkers of different eras have put forward what they think love is, but it is virtually impossible to fully and accurately describe love in one sentence. Although beyond the scope and complexity of our discussion, one of the definitions I like, primarily because of its simplicity, was given by Meher Baba, an Indian spiritual master in the 20th century. He supported that love comes with a feeling of unity and an active appreciation of the intrinsic value of the object of love. According to the ancient Greeks, there were many different types of love, and we're going to focus on four such for our discussion today. Yes, I know that I won't be talking about xenia, known as guest love, and some other types of love, but if we were to include the different subtypes that were proposed through time, the list is endless. So the four types of love are philia, storgi, eros, and agapi. Storgi is natural affection, the kind of love a mother feels for her child. This is a simple one. Now, Eros is a more passionate type of love, one that involves sensual desires. Some may call it the love of the body. However, with time, Plato suggests that Eros is more than that. It develops into an appreciation of the beauty within, helping the soul to recall what it previously knew to be beautiful. In this way, Eros inspires us to seek the truth. In fact, Eros was so important to the Greeks that he has a special place as the god of love in Greek mythology. Interestingly, though, in one of Plato's most famous works, the Symposium, we find Socrates, who taught Plato, relating a story from a wise woman. Her name was Diotima, a priest at the time. She believed that Eros is a spirit that constantly mediates between humans and their objects of desire. According to Diotima, the greatest knowledge is that of the form of beauty, and Eros propels us to try and achieve it. In this way, seeing Eros as a driving force to the truth and wisdom, Plato suggests that Eros is not a god, but rather a philosopher. The next step after Eros in the ladder of love is Agapi. Agapi is a pure, ideal type of love, and it may take years to be achieved. It is the love of the soul, and in contrast to Eros, it does not deal with the physical attraction. Agapi is selfless. Now, at this point, the scientists among you will probably want to interject and outline my ignorance. Both agapi and eros are evolutionary traits that helped the human species fight off threats and reproduce, right? How is that selfless? Well, I think the answer is not black and white, but some shade of grey here. 
While these motives are scientifically valid and are wired into our subconscious, there comes a point where, as humans, we prioritize the person we love. Agapi comes with self-sacrifice, regardless of whether that sacrifice will be directly beneficial for us as individuals in the future. Agapi helps us transcend the idea of us in flesh and bones and offers a window beyond the limits of our physical senses. Okay, this was quite a digression. I was planning to focus on philia on this episode. Anyway, we're here now. So, philia or friendship is sometimes referred to as platonic love. Allow me to clarify, there is some confusion on what this means and how it is used today. Very briefly, Plato did not use the term, but the term follows from his ideology of being in deep appreciation of the true beauty of an object and, as such, abstaining from sexual acts not due to disinterest, but rather virtues restrained. Nowadays, though, you may hear the term more commonly used to describe two friends of the opposite sex who do not indulge in coitus. Back to philia, or friendship. According to Aristotle, who was a student of Plato, there are three types of philia. In his eighth book of the Nicomachean Ethics series, Aristotle outlines friendship by pleasure, friendship by utility, and friendship by virtue. In other words, we can be friends with someone because this interaction results in having a good time, or because they are useful to us in some way, or because we admire their virtuous character. Even though you may care about your friend, all of these have an individual benefit to you. And, as such, it may seem that you do not love your friend for his or her sake, but rather for what you get out of that friendship. Here would be a good time to discuss the story of two friends before the ultimate test, death. Let's visit Sicily, in the 4th century BC. Phidias was being accused of trying to overthrow the tyrant at the time. It was decided that he would face the death penalty. After much negotiation, he managed to convince the tyrant to allow him a couple more days to settle some important arrears and family issues. Damon, who was a friend at the time, was held captive in place of Phidias. In case Phidias missed his deadline, his friend would be executed instead. As the time went by, there was no sight of Phidias. Then, just as time expired, there he was, making a run to his execution. The tyrant insisted on executing Vamon, as Phidias was late and failed to stand up to his promise. What followed is one of the most commendable, in my mind at least, demonstrations of true friendship. Both Phidias and Vamon argued convincingly to save one another's life, and in the process sacrificed their own. The tyrant was moved by their virtue, and possibly rhetoric, and set both of them free, asking to become their friend. They both fled to unknown territory after they kindly declined this proposition. I wonder why. In this story, yes, Phidias used Lamon to do what he had to do, but his sense of virtue and connection to his friend would have passed any friendship test I can think of. And speaking of friendship tests... It would be a hubris to close this episode without mentioning Plutarch's work. Plutarch was born in the 1st century AD and he was a historian, philosopher and priest at the Temple of Apollo. One of my favourite works is his essay on how to tell a flatterer from a friend. The guy had clearly given thought into it. He wrote multiple chapters and dedicated the final 12 as a manual on the exercise of friendship. To pass Plutarch's test as a true friend you needed two traits, compassion and honesty. 
A friend is like a physician who administers an unpleasant remedy that is in your best interests. He or she will be honest with you and will serve as a trusted objective view. Sure, it will be their view, but what I'm getting at here is sometimes we are our own biggest flatterers. Take for example wearing the same sweaty shirt to work. We're used to our smell and maybe oblivious that our shirt stinks. A true friend would outline this to us because knowing the truth will do less harm than us continuing to go to work smelling bad, right? A true friend will want the best out of us. A true friend appeals to the rational part of our soul, whereas a flatterer to the irrational. What do I mean by this? Well, the flatterer would urge us to seek punishment when we're angry, or go on a buying spree if we crave clothes. They look for emotions to take advantage of us and validate themselves as our friends. Plutarch not only thought little of flatterers, he refers to them as parasites in his essays. Plutarch thought that flatterers poison us. They destroy our lives by swaying us further away from the truth and therefore the best version of ourselves. Flatterers always try to please us, and their motives are malicious. They don't care about what is in our best interests. I'll leave you with Plutarch's 101 flatterer detection test, one among many at least. So, to find out if you're dealing with a flatterer, feign ignorance. Give them the most absurd advice, the most absurd proposition you can think of. Do so with a straight face, right? A true friend would just laugh at you and question your sanity. Are you drunk? If, however, that person avoids the reply, or takes some time to think about it, or even worse, applauds your thinking, then there you go. Thank you for taking the time to tune in, and I hope you found the show interesting and motivational. This is The Medic Philosopher. Until next time.